Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How are we doing today? We doing good? I told you last week that I had 82% more energy than you, and today I cannot say that because Mary Beth and Lauren have 82% more energy than me, I think. But uh, no, we're glad that you're here. Hopefully you've been greeted a bunch, and you're going to be greeted a bunch more on your way out today. But we are so thankful that you're here. It's a great day to be here. We're baptizing folks at the end of our service today, uh, and that's one of my, my favorite Sundays of the year. But uh, it's just a great season in our church. Last Sunday, we had the largest regular Sunday attendance we've ever had in the history of our church, which is super exciting. Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're adding seats and trying to move people around and do the best we can. And, uh, and so we're excited about what God's doing. It's Wednesday night, we had over 40 people here for our student life and a bunch of kids last Sunday. I don't know what the attendance is today, but a bunch. Wednesday night, this coming week, we start our Kids Life Expedition Wednesday night program. Life groups are launching. Uh, 80% of our church were in life groups last semester. So you need to jump in. I've told you before, if you jump into a group and you don't like it, We'll tell them the night of the week didn't work for you and help you get into a new group. It'll be fine. We don't have to tell them that you didn't like them as a person. Uh, but uh, no, we'd love to have you get into a group. Uh, we think that you'd love it. Last Sunday, we also had something. If you were here during the 11 o'clock service, uh, you saw perhaps some folks with cameras walking around. It was a television crew from a show called Kingdom Come TV. Uh, and they had asked a couple months ago if they could come be a part of a Sunday with us and uh, just experience worship and, and, and the sermon and uh, then interview us after church. And so they came and did that. And, and I've actually watched the 30-minute episode that they produced this past week. And it airs tomorrow night on WATC 57 here in the Atlanta and North Georgia area at 6.30. So we're going to post something later today on our social media channels, and you can help share that and spread that uh, just so that we can, we can just kind of get the, the story of what God's doing here at Canton Church out. Uh, and at the end of that, I, I make a, a call for anybody that's watching that doesn't have a church home that's here in our area just to come and visit us. And here's what I, I've been praying this week, and I want you to join with me in prayer between now and tomorrow night at 6.30. Um, the Channel 57, like if the over-the-air coverage and all the different cable, you know, providers and stuff, it's a couple million people. I'm not under the illusion that anywhere near that will watch. I get it. But I have been praying specifically that tomorrow night some people in our area are just going to be flipping the channels around 6, 28 or 29 or 30 or 31 or 33 or whatever and just kind of flipping through. And there's not going to be anything that just catches their eye. And at some point the batteries in their remote dies on channel 57. That's what I'm praying. I mean, they have new batteries in their house for later, but they can't find them for 30 minutes. But I am praying that the Lord would do something in that 30 minutes and that maybe something they've been searching for and didn't know where they could find it, that the Lord would just connect them here. And next Sunday morning, they're going to walk through the doors here. That's what I've been praying. I want you to join with me in prayer about that, if you would. But it's just a great time, great season. But I'm excited about today. Uh, you know, I have started something over the last few months that I've been enjoying. I, I didn't really enjoy it up to that point. I, I'm not the best at it, but I've started running uh, on purpose. Um, and, you know, again, I'm not great at it, but one of the things that I tend to do is, you know, when I, when I jump into something and I kind of, hey, I want to try this, I try to give it my all. And so uh, I, I've been trying to, you know, be more disciplined in my diet and exercise. And, you know, we say here that generations matter, and that's not just something on the wall and for church. 
I want it to matter for my generations of my family, and I want to live long enough to see generations. And my diet and exercise hasn't been great, so I'm trying to change that. And so one of the ways that I'm doing that is to try to run. And so one of two things happened as I started running. One, uh, I realized that I want to quit all the time when I'm running. And two, I tend to start too quickly. So I would come out of my house and take a right and just start running down the sidewalk as if someone were chasing me with a knife. Uh, and then I realized I'm running way too fast. My body cannot endure this, and I have to slow down. And so I, I started to build my endurance up. And so I set a goal for myself to try to go, okay, this is just what I'm going to do to give myself, you know, here's what I'm trying. And so I wanted to run in a 5K, which I did just a few weeks ago. And when I decided I was going to run the 5K, that's a little over three miles, uh, I, I said, okay, I want to run it in under 30 minutes. And for some of you, you're like, wow, that's really slow. And you'd be right. And then for others of you, like, that's really fast. And you'd be right as well. And so I decided I'm going to run the 5K. I want to run it under 30 minutes, which means I've got to run each mile in a little less than 9 minutes and 19 seconds, which if you're just running one mile may not be super fast. But over the course of a race, that seems a little bit fast. And so I was trying to, you know, get to that. So in all of my preparation for the race, I did not get under 30 minutes. I was kind of discouraged. I was like, man, but I kept getting closer, kept getting closer. So the day of the race, showed up ran in kind of a pack of people that seemed to have a pretty good pace. I had an app on my phone, was telling me like what my time was and how far I'd run. And so I get around, I turn the last corner and I see the finish line up, kind of up the hill from me. Of course, the finish line's always up a hill, right? Okay, so it's up the hill. I look at my phone, I see the app, I see my time. I have under a minute to make it within my goal. And so I start running like the guy's chasing me with a knife again, right? And so I cross the finish line and almost passed out. I was like gassed, right? Some of you, you're like, oh, that's crazy. It was only 30 minutes. It was only running, but I, I really was, was gassed. But here's what I discovered. Like, okay, after a few minutes, I caught, some, caught my breath. I was good. Uh, I, I was fine. I ate a banana they had there, some water. I, I was great. So I was like, hey, this, this feels good. So I've decided I'm going to keep running. So the other night, I went to my son's practice, lacrosse practice, and at the park where they were practicing, there's a track. I thought, I'm going to run a little farther than 5K. I don't know, you know, I'm going to run. Corey asked me, how far are you going to run? I was like, I don't know. I'll just run a little farther than 5K. So I started running. It wasn't as hot that night. It wasn't as humid. So I just kept running. I ran more than the 5K, and then I've, I'll be honest, then I walked a little bit of a, a, you know, a lap, and then I would run a little bit and walk a little bit. And so I ended up, at the end, I had run a 10K. A little over an hour, but I ran a 10K, and I was so proud of myself. But here's what you need to know about me as a runner. And if you're a runner, you know this way better than me. I, I'm not a runner. I wouldn't even classify myself yet as a runner. But if you don't, if you never run, you may not know this. Pretty much the point of running is just not stop. Like the whole time I'm running, in my brain, the only thought I have is, I want to stop. Uh, now is a good time to stop. This would be a great spot to stop. And then the internal battle of going, no, I think I need to keep running. Just a little. I'm going to run to the tree. I'm going to run to the stop sign. I want to stop now. I'm going to run to that car. I'm going to get in front of that guy. Like I just, it's a battle the whole time. But there comes a moment when I'm running when I'm like, I've got nothing left. And I have a decision to make right then. In that moment, if I keep going and I press through, I catch what they call a second wind. Some of you have experienced this before in athletics or maybe in some other area of your life, and you catch what is called a second wind. It's this phenomenon when you are pushing yourself and exerting yourself to the point that you think you have nothing left in the tank, and if you push through that moment, you, you realize, I got a little more. And so you're doing more than you thought you could. It's not hurting like it was. You have breath. You have energy, and it feels great. And so I've experienced that a couple of times as I've been running. Well, I told you a few weeks ago that this past summer, 
Corey and I, at the end of this crazy year of ministry, as we separated our church and, and planted this church, and it had just been a crazy year, and so we took some time this summer to really refresh and just refill our souls and just prepare for what we believed God was going to do this fall. And so we did some dreaming and some planning and some just take some time off. And, and during that time, I was reading some books, and I was listening to some sermons, and I listened to a sermon on a podcast where the guy talked about this idea of a second wind. And when he, when he talked about this idea, I thought, yeah, that's, that's it. I've experienced that now a little bit, but that's it. And, and he started talking out of a story that I'd read before. I'd preached it before. And so I went and started reading that story. And this week, as I was looking at what we were going to talk about, I really felt like this is where we wanted to land in this passage of Scripture because so many things just came alive to me this week in preparation of today. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to Matthew chapter 14. It's a famous story in Scripture. Even if you're not a Bible person, if you're not a Christian, not been around faith very much, around church, you know this story perhaps because it's made its way into pop culture. It's made its way into the language of our culture. It's a very, very famous passage of Scripture. But Matthew chapter 14, the first book of the New Testament, about halfway through that book, we read this story beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, "'Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid.'" Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Over the next couple minutes before we do baptism, I want to share with you a few thoughts that I believe relate to all of us wherever you may find yourself. Maybe you're at a place in your journey where you want to give up. Maybe you're at a place in your journey where you just did give up. Or maybe you're just kind of walking through a season where things are good. You're kind of living life at a pace that you feel like is sustainable. But you anticipate that perhaps there could come another day like you have experienced before where you'll want to give up. And I want us to talk a little bit about this idea of second wind. And I've just got a few thoughts. Maybe you jot these down in your phone or write these in the margins of your Bible or, or on the tithe envelope there before you. But just a few thoughts that I believe will help all of us related to what it looks like to really follow Jesus in relationship. And here's the first thought that comes right out of the text we just read. What seems impassable is not impossible. What seems impassable is not impossible. Look back at verse 24. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Now, so often when I read passages like this, I miss so many of the, the goodness that exists here. Jesus had sent them out on the boat, and they were out on the lake, and they were out now a, a great distance from Jesus. He comes down from praying, and, and about dawn, he's going to see them, and he wants to get to them. Now, you, you need to recognize that there would not have been a lot of people hanging out around the edge of the lake. He'd already dismissed the crowds. There would not have been a lot of people hanging out around the edge of the lake that would have been like selling tickets to take you across the lake in their boat. They would do that during the day. And so the idea that Jesus had to get where they were 
but there wasn't really a, a, a suitable means for him to do so, makes it seem like the distance was impassable. In my life, and perhaps in your life, there are some times and some circumstances when we feel like the distance that we have created between ourselves and God is impassable. Maybe we think that the circumstances that we're facing, that our our marriage and our relationships and our finances, they're just too far gone. There's no way that God could do anything. It seems impassable, the distance that would have to be covered. God can't get to that place. God can't do that. God can't restore that. I was the one that made the mistakes. I was the one that did this, or we did this together. We made poor decisions, and so surely this is impassable. But because of God, it is not impossible. I tend to put God in a box sometimes. I tend to put limitations on God that are not realistic to who God actually is. And so often what I've done is I've created the bounds by which I have faith in God. I believe that God can do these things and God can't do these other things. That God is capable of accomplishing this, but he's not capable of accomplishing this. It seems impassable. But because of God, it is not impossible. And so what does he do? He just walks across the water toward the boat. And then I want you to see this next idea here. Fear causes the familiar to seem foreign. Fear causes the familiar to seem foreign. Look at what we just read. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Do you remember when you were a kid? I'll say a kid so that all the adults in the room that experience this now don't feel bad about themselves. But do you remember when you were a kid and you would be laying in your bed at night and you would hear a noise and you would be convinced that it was a new noise and it was scary, even though it was a noise that you kind of heard before. Anybody remember that as a kid? So I'm not talking about actual dangerous noises in your house. So like in the middle of the night, if you hear someone downstairs and there should not be anybody downstairs, that's a big deal, all right? I get that. I've got a kid in my house that roams in the middle of the night. And you're like, it's the third watch of the night. I should not hear the Dorito bag unrolling right now. There's a strange, I don't know why a burglar would eat Doritos first, but I'm convinced that there's somebody downstairs. So I get, if you hear noises and you think that there's a burglar, you need to call 911. But there are times that it's just the creak of the house. It's just the attic. It's just the sounds, the the trees, the branches that you've seen that you should have cut back that scratch up against the side of your house. And you know what those noises are intuitively, but fear causes the familiar to seem foreign. And so when you are afraid, so often what you've already recognized and known not to be scary becomes scary. Keep in mind that Jesus just sent them out on the lake. Not six days ago, not six months ago, not six years ago, maybe six hours ago. They were with Jesus. He puts them in the boat and sends them on ahead of him while he prays and dismisses the crowd. And yet when Jesus reappears to them because of the limitations that they put on him in their mind that he could not have gotten to where they were, they are afraid of the guy that they had just been with six hours before because fear causes the familiar to seem foreign. But the reality here is that for all of us, if we would take the the, the emotions that fear creates in us, If we would zoom out as much as possible, and I know in moments of fear, sometimes it seems impossible, but if we would just take the the edge off of what we're experiencing and what we're feeling, we would be able to rationally process what we are experiencing and go, wait a minute, if someone's walking on the water, we're already 14 chapters into Matthew. That's probably Jesus. We've seen him do some crazy things. But no, 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 they go, it's got to be a ghost. These were professional fishermen. 
So that only tells me what they were thinking other nights when they were on the wall. It's got to be a ghost. Surely it can't be Jesus. But then look at this response, this idea. If you never try, you'll never know. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. If you never try, you'll never know. I love that Peter asked him this. Because remember, he was in the group that thought this was a ghost. So now Peter's talking to ghosts, okay? So I love that in response to thinking this was a ghost, Peter says, you know what? This may be Jesus. I, I think just in the back of my mind, in the recess of my I, I think, okay, this makes sense that this could be Jesus, the guy who's been telling us that he's the son of God and he holds the power over life and death and he does these miraculous things and he teaches in ways that astonish. This may be Jesus. Lord, if it's you, call me to come. I love that. Because it, it proves to me that Peter was a little bit crazy. And I want to be crazy like that. Like crazy obedient, to that place where you do things in obedience to God that other people, you know the other disciples are like, what are you getting out of the, there's a ghost out there, what are you doing? The winds and the waves are, what are you doing? I don't understand why you're getting out of the boat. I don't under, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, call me to come. He said, come. Peter's like, I'm out, fellas. And he is just over the edge of the boat, crazy obedient. I love that. That's what I want to live like. I want to live in crazy obedience. You know, in, in our family, we're, we're trying to teach our children what it looks like to be obedient when you feel the Lord nudging you to do something. You know, if you've had those moments where you've ever experienced and you just kind of feel like there's something that the Lord wants you to do. Maybe you've experienced that in some way where you're, you're, supposed to do, you're supposed to go pray for somebody. I feel like I'm supposed to go pray for them. Maybe you're standing in line at the grocery store or Starbucks or whatever your favorite restaurant is, and you feel the Lord say, hey, just pay for the person behind you. God, I don't, I don't know. That'd be kind of awkward. That'd be kind of weird. I don't, you know, if it was anonymous, yeah, but I mean, I'm standing right here. They're right there. I don't want to, that'd be a little right. But we've been teaching our kids, like, when you feel that nudge, a couple days ago, I'm one of our kids said, I, I feel like I'm supposed to go pray with that person. I said, but I'm afraid. I'm scared. I said, guess what? I get scared when I feel that too. And I, I asked him this question. I said, this is a filter that I use whenever I'm trying to decide, was that God or did I eat bad pizza last night, right? This is what I'm trying to decide. I asked this question. If I go ahead and do it and it's not God telling me to do it, would God still be honored by this? And if the answer is yes, or if the answer is absolutely not no, then go do it. I, I think God is going to be honored by your faith-filled, overcoming fear obedience, even if it's not him nudging you, and you just kind of looked across the room and go, man, that person looks like they need prayer. I think I want to go pray. Like, you're still honoring God in that. Now, if, if the question is, like, if I do this, is God still going to be honored? And you just think, well, nah, probably not. Then maybe you don't do it. Maybe you ask for wisdom. My dad talks about the weird way that his mind works sometimes. He tells this story about being in an elevator one night at the end of a long day, long work day. He gets in the elevator. There's nobody on. And he pushes his floor and just kind of leans his head back against the wall. And just before the doors close, this really big guy, big muscular guy gets on the elevator, kind of stands to the side of him, pushes his floor, stands over beside him. And 
My dad leans his head back, and he said he had that crazy thought. Maybe you've had a similar thought before, like, what if I just hauled off and punched this guy right in the face? <laughs> and then he thought, Lord, that doesn't sound like you. Because in that moment, if he would have run it through the filter, like, would the, if I did it, if it wasn't the Lord, and if I did it, would God still be glorified in this? The answer is most definitely no. And that guy would have tore my dad up, okay? He's not, a, he's not a big fighter, right? So if the answer's no, then maybe you don't do it, or maybe you seek other wisdom or counsel. But if the answer's yes, then just go be crazy obedient. So that that person goes, wow, that was, that was interesting. Just embrace the awkwardness, embrace the mess, and just step into crazy obedience. Just, just step out. Just try it. You'll never know if you could unless you try, right? I ran across this quote this week from William James. It says this, most people never run far enough on their first wind to find out if they've got a second wind. Just get out of the boat. Just try it. You'll never know if you don't try, so just get out of the boat and try it and just see if perhaps it's God that's calling you to come out of the boat. This was not the first time that Jesus had called Peter. The first time, they were also by the water, and Jesus called Peter to leave his nets and come and follow him. You know what Peter did? He dropped his nets. Crazy obedience. You're going to make me a fisher of men? I don't even know what that looks like, but I am in, right? Crazy obedience. I want to live that way. You'll never know unless you try. Look at this. Just because I'm sinking doesn't mean that I'm sunk. Just because I'm sinking doesn't mean I'm sunk. Look at this in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Now, I've read this passage so many times. I've, heard, I've told you, I've preached this passage before, but I had never noticed the first few words of what we just read. It says, but when he saw the wind... He was afraid. You can't see wind. You can see the effects of wind. You can see wind turning waves over. You can see wind turning leaves to and fro. You can see wind bringing rain left or right, up and down. Like, but you can't actually see wind. And yet it was something that he saw that made him afraid. And I don't want to speak for you, but I'll just indict me. So often, my fears are things that are not actually real. I'm not saying that you're not really afraid of some things, and I'm not saying that some of your fears aren't real. Some of them absolutely are real. But so often for me, the things that I'm actually afraid of are the things that I'm anticipating that once I actually get there aren't as bad as I thought they would be. And so I'm bound up by fear, and I'm consumed by fear and once I experience what I was afraid of, I go, oh, that wasn't that bad. But then the next time that that similar thing comes up, I am deathly afraid again. And I completely forget that last time it wasn't nearly as bad. He was afraid because he saw the wind. He didn't actually see the wind. He saw the effects of the wind. He saw the wind and the waves, and he saw what it was doing to rock the boat, and he saw the storm that had kicked up. He saw the effects of the wind, but he didn't see the wind. But it was the wind that caused him to be afraid. But I love what he did. As soon as he was afraid, as soon as he was scared, as soon as he started to sink because of his fears, he cried out. And he cried out to the one that called him in the first place. So often, for so many of us, when we begin to sink, 
We don't cry out for help. We isolate ourselves. We don't cry out for other, hey, this is what's going on in my life. Hey, this is what's happening. I told you last week, not everybody needs to know your mess, but somebody needs to know your mess. I told you a few minutes ago, we come into this place and we gather together and we pray and we call out to God and we agree together with our elders in prayer in those moments. And we, we, some of you come to us in the lobby and we pray with you because we cry out to the Lord when we begin to sink. But what the enemy wants you to do when you begin to sink is to not say anything. To, to just, just to isolate. No, 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 you can't. No, no, no. Other people don't sink as much as you sink. Other people have more faith than you have. Other people don't doubt like you doubt. Other people don't struggle like you struggle. And so we begin to isolate. We talked about this last week. I don't want to rehash it. But we isolate ourselves instead of crying out for help when we are sinking. And what I love about what Peter does here is as soon as he starts sinking, he cried out, Lord, save me. And look at what Jesus did. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. It means that Jesus is close enough. He's close enough to catch you when you're sinking. Some of you, that's the best news you could hear. Because you came in today and you're not convinced he's anywhere within a million miles of where you're at. And I promise you, if you would just say, Lord, save me. He's right there. He's right there. I love this proverb, Proverb 24, verse 16. It says this, for though the righteous fall seven times... They rise again. And when you read this, it may disrupt your theology, what you believe about God and faith and righteousness. Because what it says is that the righteous fall seven times, but they rise again. What that tells me is that the truth about righteousness is not in the first part. It's in the second part. That it's not about not falling that makes you righteous. It's about getting back up again that makes you righteous. It's about calling out to God and allowing him to lift you up out of your sinking state that makes you righteous. For the righteous fall seven times, and they rise again. What makes a person righteous isn't that they don't fall. It's that they get back up. But we've convinced ourselves that nobody else sinks and everybody else walks on water better than we do. And so instead of crying out, instead of calling out, we isolate ourselves. But let me just tell you, it's why we do life groups. It's why we want you in relationship. Life is better when we're together in these groups and in these communities because we help one another. You have a place, a safe place where you can encourage one another and cry out and say, hey, I'm in a mess right now. I'm struggling right now. Can you pray? Can you lift me up? But just because you're sinking doesn't mean you're sunk. Look at this. Two more. If you give up, you'll miss out. If you give up, you'll miss out. Verse 32 says this. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Now, two things about this verse that I see here. The second part of this verse says the wind died down after they got in the boat. That frustrates me about the Lord. I would hope that if the Lord is walking on the water with Peter and Peter is afraid, he would do what he's capable of doing and what we see him do in a different story and say, peace be still. We're walking on the water. We need smooth as glass water here. Please stop. And the winds would stop. But it wasn't until they got back in the boat that the wind died down. It tells me that sometimes when I'm walking with Jesus, there will be storms. Sometimes when I'm walking with Jesus, there will still be storms. If you've convinced yourself that walking with Jesus means no storms, I'm disrupting your world right now. But that's just not true. 
says that it rains on the just and the unjust in Isaiah. There, there, there will be storms in your life, even when you are walking with the Lord in the supernatural power of walking on water, like until they got in the boat, the winds didn't die down. But the other part of this that's encouraging to me is it says, when they climbed into the boat. Now, if you just replay the story, you recognize that Peter said, Lord, if it's you, call me to come. He said, come. Peter's like, I'm out, fellas. He gets out into the water, walks. The winds catch his eye. He's afraid. He begins to sink. Lord, save me. Jesus reaches down, picks his hand up, pulls him up out of sinking, picks him up in his arms, and carries him back to the boat and puts him back in the boat. That's what it says, right? No. What we recognize is that when Peter got out of the boat, whether he walked two steps or 50 steps, he walked far enough away from the boat to get to where Jesus had been because when he cried out, Lord, save me, Jesus was right there and grabbed his hand. So he was in close proximity to wherever Jesus was. And Jesus evidently was not close enough to the boat that the guys recognized Jesus because they thought he was a ghost. So he was at least far enough that he still looked like a ghost. And Peter walks to Jesus. So when he lifts him up from sinking, they've got to get back to the boat. And what is not recorded that I wish was recorded at the end of verse 31 or in a different beginning to verse 32 is it says, and then Peter and Jesus walked hand in hand 31 steps back to the boat before they got in. That would be awesome. But we don't have that. We just know that they got back to the boat. And what I believe with all of my heart is that they walked hand in hand back to the boat. Peter did what no other human in history that we have recorded was able to do. He walked twice on the water, once to Jesus and once back to the boat with Jesus. When I read that, it is such an encouragement to me that there is actually something that I can accomplish and something that I can do even after failure, even after doubt, even after I mess up. But if I give up, I'll miss out. If Peter, when he started sinking, just said, I'm sinking. Here I go. I'm out, fellas. See y'all. I tried. It was a good ride while it lasted. You know? I mean, no, no, no. If, if he would have just been done, he'd have been done. He would have missed out on this incredible miracle of walking hand in hand with Jesus. Look at this picture I found this week as I was preparing. Your second wind starts here. It starts on the other side of the things that are fighting against you. It starts on the other side of what you think you're not capable of enduring. I told you, my whole running philosophy is just don't stop. Just don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Man, I really want to stop, but just don't stop. Just keep going. Don't stop, don't stop. I've never, ever gotten a second wind before I felt like stopping, and then that carried me through the wanting to stop. I always had to press through wanting to give up, and then I got my second wind every single time. Every single time. And if you give up, you're going to miss out. And I started thinking about some of these stories in the scriptures. Some of these you know, some of these you may not. But in the Old Testament, there was a guy by the name of Abraham who had been promised from God that he would receive a promised child, Isaac, even in his old age. And then God does the unthinkable one day, and he says to Abraham, I want you to kill your son Isaac. What? And so he gathers all the materials that would be necessary to offer his son as a sacrifice, and he gets his son, and he gets the servants, and they start walking off. And they get to the bottom of the mountain and they are marching up. What if Abraham would have stopped? What if he would have given up halfway up the mountain? When he gets to the top of the mountain, what we read in the story is that God provided the sacrifice and God showed his faithfulness to Abraham and God restored the covenant and proved, hey, you don't have anything more important than me and so I'm going to do abundant blessings through Isaac and through your line. 
But what if Abraham would have stopped halfway up the mountain and thought, you know what, I don't, I don't want to take my son up there. I'm going to scare him to death. I, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to work out. Let's just go back down. God promised me the promise through Isaac. I mean, surely this is what he meant. And so he was testing me, and I passed. I came all the way to the mountain, and I'm going to... What would he have missed? He would have missed seeing the faithfulness of God. David, one day his dad says, hey, I want you to go and take grain and cheese to your brothers. They're fighting against the Philistine army. And what if David was said, I don't want to do that. I don't even like my brothers, right? Because even back then, brothers fought. And so they, I don't even like my brothers. I don't want to do that. And what if he got there and he sees all of the army that he is a part of and his brothers are a part of and they're hiding behind the rocks and he sees Goliath and he's big and tall and a giant and he's crying out and making fun of him, trash talking. What if he said, well, I don't want to fight. I don't want to, I'm not big. He's big. I'm small. I don't want to, I can't do this. What if he would have given up? What would he have missed out on? He would have missed out seeing the provision of God to take one smooth stone out of the five that he picked up, throwing it, hitting Goliath, knocking him down, picking up Goliath's sword, chopping his head off, seeing the Philistines run and the entire Israel army run after. Like he would have missed all of that if he would have given up too soon. And I thought about you this week. I thought about some of you when I closed my eyes, your face was on the back of my eyelids. And I know some of you, your, your marriage is in a tough place right now. And you're contemplating giving up. My question would be, what, what are you going to miss out on if you give up right now? I thought about some of you that it's not a marriage issue for you, but there are other relationships. And you're ready to walk out on those relationships. And my question to you, what would you miss out on if you give up? And may, maybe it's time. Maybe you hear God specifically saying to you, no, now's the time. Now's right. This is the right time for sure. But if you're not and you're just, it's just tough and it's just hard and you just want to give up because it's too hard and you don't want to put in the work, what are you going to miss out on if you give up now? But, but if you push through and God breathes a second wind on you and you have the opportunity to keep going and you feel his refreshing, what are you going to see God do in your life? Last thought is this. Prove them right and wrong. Prove them right and wrong. Verse 33. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Who were they worshiping? They weren't worshiping Peter. They were worshiping Jesus, right? Truly you are the Son of God. But what is it that they were worshiping him about? Well, obviously, they could have been worshiping Jesus because he showed them his ability to walk on the water. But as I read this story, it occurs to me that they knew Peter pretty well. And they had done some fishing with Peter, and they had been on boats with Peter. And up to this point, they had never seen Peter walk on the water. So what was different? In this instance, what was different is that the Lord told him to come, and he did, and he walked on the water to Jesus, and he walked back on the water with Jesus. And they knew Peter couldn't do that without Jesus. And so they worshiped Jesus because Peter proved him to them. Peter proved to them that Jesus was who he says he is. They thought, well, we know Peter. He can't do that. But man, there is something special about Jesus because if Jesus is able to let Peter do that, he's got to be the son of God. Later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, Peter again shows up in the story. And Peter and John are walking one day, and they come to this gate called Beautiful. And there is a beggar, a lame beggar, who's been lame from birth, who cries out, Peter and John, help me, save me. And they say to him, silver and gold have we none. We don't have what you're looking for, but what we do have we give to you 
and it's Jesus Christ. And they take him by the hand, they raise him up, and he's healed in that moment. And the crowds go crazy because they know this guy. He's been there from birth. And so they say, wow, that's incredible. Well, then the religious leaders, they catch Peter and John, and they say, hey, we're going to put you in jail. They put him in jail. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have to explain what's happening. And look at this beginning in verse 8, and then I'm just going to jump quickly to 13. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them... And this is what they did in response to him saying, it was Jesus Christ that did it. It was the power of God that was able to do this, not us. It said, when they, the crowds, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John proved Jesus to them because they actually proved the people right. They couldn't do this. Peter proved Jesus to the disciples because he proved them right because like, yeah, I I can't walk on water by myself. And so the question for me today, the question for you today is, how are we proving Jesus to those in our lives? How are we proving Jesus to those around us? What is it that we're doing as we're crazy obedient that they go, well, there's no way you could do that on your own. There's no way you could accomplish that by yourself. Surely you have been Jesus. Surely you have been with Jesus. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes as we conclude our time together today. If you would say to me, Jeremy, you know, for me, I I need to accept him as the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I need him to forgive my sins and lead my life from this point forward. I recognize that. And today, I want to join with those maybe in this room who've already made that decision and become a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Anybody else? Now, if you would say, Jeremy, for me, it's not about salvation. I just want to be crazy obedient. I want to trust God enough to get out of the boat. Even if I start to sink, I want to cry out to him and watch him respond to me. And I want to walk hand in hand with Jesus into more than I ever thought possible. I just want to be crazy obedient and prove Jesus to those around me. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. God, we love you today. We thank you, God, that you are more than enough for us. We thank you, God, that you forgive sins. And so, God, now we ask you to forgive those who have responded today and called on you for salvation. Would you forgive their sins and lead and guide their life from this point forward? God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hands to say we want to be crazy obedient. Whatever it is that you're nudging us to do and pressing upon us to do, whatever it is that you call us out of our comfort zone to do, God, we want to say yes. And God, even if we sink, we get back up. Even if we're falling, we get back up again, God, because we want to prove Jesus to those around us because they know that we can't on our own. So God, we ask you to do immeasurably more in and through us for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.